For the last 26 years, I've been rocking stages, playing in clubs, and having a lot of fun as a DJ and turntablist. And in that time, I've seen and learned a lot. Now it's time for me to share that knowledge by answering the questions that can help you to become a better DJ. I'm DJ TLM, and this is the Share the Knowledge Podcast for DJs. Today's podcast is brought to you by Banzoogle. 1212, what's going on? It's your boy DJ TLM, and you're tuned into the Share the Knowledge podcast for DJs, episode six. Before I get into the episode, I just want to say rest in peace, Nipsey Hustle. Now, I'll get back to this a little bit later on. Welcome to the Share the Knowledge podcast. This is my Q&A show for DJs. I try to share my 25 plus years of DJ experience, and I try to answer questions that you guys can send me. And in this case, I've received a lot of questions through Instagram. If you're not following me on Instagram, the handle is DJTLM. That's basically my handle everywhere on social media, except for my YouTube channel. If you want to check out some DJ video content, make sure you check out DJTLM TV. I posted this question today on Instagram, and I basically do that every week when I record a show, and I'll ask you guys to send me questions in that comment section, and I have a bunch of questions right here, and one of the questions actually is that I'm being asked to touch on Nipsey Hussle and how he was viewed in the UK. I get this more often. People don't always know where I'm actually from or where I live. I'm from Amsterdam, born and raised, and I live in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. So I will talk about that. Now, when it comes to Nipsey Hussle, I got to say that news hit me hard. It hit me harder than the news of other artists passing in the last couple of years. And I think it is because Nipsey was special. And I don't want to say other people aren't special, but I feel Nipsey was definitely a special person and he has inspired me in many ways. Now, when it comes to the music side, if we're looking at Nipsey as someone from the newer generation, even though he's been in the game for like 10, 15 years, I would definitely say he's one of my favorite artists to listen to, especially in the last couple of years. I love playing Nipsey Hustle, and um, I was just a major fan. But besides the music, this was a person who had a great entrepreneurial vision, and he had that since like day one, when you saw early interviews, when he was just young, he was already talking about ownership and things he was striving for. And over the span of like 10, 15 years, he actually achieved all of those goals and was like a real positive influence in his own community, which is commendable. He really is a self-made man, entrepreneur, artist, who delivered quality music, and he actually bought like a couple of the buildings on the block. He used to hustle, and he turned that into positivity. He had his own clothing store. He was employing local people, but it goes way beyond that. And I'm not from LA. I know some people in LA, but I'm not all the way uh, knowledgeable when it comes to everything happening over there. But I know he was also, Nipsey Hussle was also involved in trying to create peace between the gangs, trying to create unity. And uh, just there's a lot of commendable things if you take, a, take the time to look into 
what he was into. He was also into tech, something I really like. Even with the clothing store, he would have special things like labels in his clothes that you could use with your app to get access to different content. I don't know. I just really liked the way he thought about stuff. Uh, yeah, it's a shame because he was 33, and I really feel we could have gotten a lot more from Nipsey not just music-wise, but I, th- I feel this guy was going to do a lot more, like, big, big things. So to answer part of the question, how he was viewed, well, here, not in the U.K., but in the Netherlands, I got to say over here, he's not a big artist unless you're really looking at, like, the urban community, like people listening to hip-hop and R&B. They know Nipsey Hussle. But I, if I'm not mistaken, even if I saw the local news, I don't even think they mentioned that because to the Dutch news, Nipsey Hussle is not one of the names on their radar. They don't know him like that. Within my community and the people I hang with, we all know Nipsey, love this music, and it's, a, it's really a damn shame. So rest in peace, Nipsey. And I got to be honest, I just went online two hours ago just to buy some stuff off of his store. Just because I know the proceeds go to the right place, I want to make sure I support that fam any way I can as well. All right, so this question is all about DJs who also produce and if it's necessary to produce. Now, I've talked about this before, and I think it's always interesting to touch on the subject. Let me read the question first. And the question is, some friends of mine say it's hard to be a DJ without creating your own music and incorporating your own music in your sets. Have you made your own music or found it necessary to do so to gain popularity? It also lets you stand out in a sense, I assume. But I want to hear your two cents. So, Let me just state a couple of facts. If you want to be a DJ, you can just be a DJ, a person who plays music and it does not have to be your own music. A DJ is not someone who has to play their own music. You're playing music to entertain a crowd or you're playing at home and then you're just entertaining yourself, but you can play in front of people, make them have a good time by playing artists' music. It is a fact that producing music or at least releasing music under your name can help, especially if you play certain genres. So if we're looking at some of the electronic music and you look at the biggest festivals and all the biggest names, all those big names are that big because of the music they released, not because of their DJ skills. Not saying that they're all bad DJs. There's definitely good DJs in there as well, but their popularity comes from the music they release. So yes, it can help to actually um, gain popularity. And not just in electronic music, house music, it works in different genres as well, but it's not necessary. So if you feel you'd like to give that a shot, it could always be a good idea to at least try and have some music out because we're living in a day and age where it's very easy to actually distribute your own music because that was like um, a bit of a struggle if we go back like whatever, 10, 15 years, because you could make music, but then you would have to find a label that label would have to sign you, they would distribute your music, and so on and so on. Nowadays, you can make music at home, and you can have that music online, and not just on SoundCloud, but on Spotify, iTunes, you name it, very easily. You do not need labels to do that. 
You can do that yourself. And there's all sorts of services you can use to get that music out there. So, for instance, one of the uh, services I used to use, and a lot of artists use that, is TuneCore. That's just one. And they uh, make it possible for your music to be in all the online stores. You pay like 10 bucks for a single. You have to pay that every year for every single you release. But that is an option. You place it, and within a week or two, it's going to be up. Now, there's definitely more services out there, and I actually just released four or five instrumentals that I have on my SoundCloud through SoundCloud because SoundCloud also offers a service called SoundCloud Premiere, and SoundCloud now allows you to monetize your own music, but it also has the option with SoundCloud Premiere to distribute your music. So I've distributed, I think it's five, four or five songs now, beats, through SoundCloud Premiere, and they're now on Spotify, uh, iTunes, Tidal, you name it. So there's plenty of options to get your music out there. If you're interested in giving it a shot, you can give it a shot, try to make your own music. Now, if you're just not musical enough or you don't really feel you want to get into actually learning how to make your own beats, you also have the option to just uh, collaborate with a producer and just release the track under both of your names or some producers can also be paid off and then their name is not on the on the record on the title and they're basically just a ghost producer and it's just going to have your name on there uh, you have to decide what works for you i personally don't really like that if i'm going to let someone else produce a track and my name is on there i'm going to have that producer's name on there as well but that's up to you but yes it can help but it's not necessary it kind of depends on what genres you play and what your goal is as a dj if you just want to play in all the local clubs production is probably not going to help a lot but it could help it could help you to gain some popularity um, but it's not necessary all right, so this is an interesting question. This is about playing for a limited crowd. Now, when I first saw that first sentence, I was wondering what was meant by limited crowd, but we're talking about playing in front of very few people. So the question is, how do you play for a limited crowd? I'm DJing at a bar and the place can get packed, but it's been slow for a couple of weeks now. Uh, it's been crowds of no more than 10 to 20 people, and they all look different, if you know what I mean. I try a lot of different kinds of tracks, but I feel like that makes my set seem like it has no order or flow. I do play freestyle. Any suggestions? So, first of all, if you're playing in a bar and there's only like 10 or 20 people there, it's going to be really hard to get a real vibe going unless all of those 10 to 20 people are actually party people. If they're actually more of a bar crowd who just like to come in, sit and drink, it's going to be rough to turn that into uh, some type of lit party. It's just not going to happen. And I think if you only have 10 to 20 people, it doesn't really make a lot of sense just to try all sorts of different tracks. Um, because most likely, if they're all very different, every track might just attract one of them and not the other, like 10 to 15 people. So I would just play a set that has a nice amount of energy uh, that feels right for you, because I don't think it's going to be possible to have 10, 20 people who are different and have them all rocking 
by playing one song for that person, one song for that person, one song for that person. I don't think that's going to work. But at the end of the day, it's going to be really, really hard to get a small group of people to party. Now, it's a different situation if it was actually a group. So imagine if you're at a bar and there's no one there, and then all of a sudden you have a group of 12 or 14 people coming in. They're together. They know each other. They're friends. They came out just to have a little fun or to celebrate something. Yo, you might have a great party if you have those people because most likely those people are going to be like-minded, but more importantly, they came together. They're going to hang together. So if you get a couple of them on the dance floor, probably the rest are going to join or at least they're all going to be there having a good time. But if it's like 10, 20 people, they're not together, that's rough. That's really rough. And I don't think there's a, a, a perfect solution to make that work. I want to take this time out to thank the sponsor of this episode, Banzoogle. Check it out. Banzoogle makes it easy to build a stunning website for your music in minutes. You can choose from hundreds of mobile-friendly themes and then customize your design and content in a few clicks with Banzoogle's easy visual editor. Now, all the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, and integration to pull in content from all your online services, including Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. I use Banzoogle to create the Share the Knowledge podcast website and that was very easy. Banzoogle plans start at just $8.29 a month and include your own free custom domain name. Now, if you want to try it out for free for 30 days, click on the link in the description box down below and be sure to use the promo code SHARE to get 15% off the first year of your subscription. Then there's a question about scratch routines. What's the best way to approach a new scratch routine? Now, that's a subject that I actually don't have a lot of experience with because I like scratching, but I mostly scratch freestyle. I don't make a lot of routines. Even when I'm doing my Saturday sessions videos, I've never planned what type of scratches I'm going to do. I hit record and then I go. Now, maybe I'll do it for a couple of rounds, and after the first two, I might have an idea of how I'll do it, but that doesn't go any further than, all right, the first three, I'll do a little bit basic, and then I'll do something else, but then it's still freestyle. So even when I have shows that I do with brain power, and within those shows, I have like a routine, it's not, if it's just some scratching, then it's not really going to be a routine. Then I'll just pick a beat and I'll have a sound for scratching and I'll freestyle scratch. Now, if it's going to be like an actual turntablism routine, I haven't done that in a long time. But then I'm going to pick a couple of tracks and I'll just work with those tracks for however long I need to figure out what kind of tricks I could do with the tracks, uh, a little bit of uh, juggling, a little bit of backspinning, uh, then add a sound and do some scratching. For me, that is something that takes time because I don't have a routine for coming up with routines. So I can't really help you with that one any more than that. All right, this next question is all about latency. And the question is, what's the proper latency setting you should use to be able to scratch better on a controller? Now, when it comes to latency, you want to have as little latency as possible. So you want the reaction from the movement on your jog wheel to be almost the same as the movement within the DJ software. I mean, I've seen controllers in the past 
with terrible latency, you would move the jog wheel and it would take like a half a second before the software would move. That's not gonna work, especially if you wanna scratch. You want it to be as tight as possible. Um, the thing is, it also depends on how fast your computer is. I've seen computers and used computers like older laptops that just weren't very powerful. And when I wanted to get that latency as low as possible, the computer just couldn't take it. So I had to increase it a little bit, but you're gonna have to experiment with that. So put the latency setting in its lowest, as low as it can be. So a very, very small number. If you still have perfect control and no uh, dropouts or anything like that, then your computer can probably handle it and then you're gonna have the best reaction uh, from your controller for scratching. If it's not really working, you're gonna have to increase that number a little bit. So it's, it's, it takes a little bit of figuring out, um, but I'm using a 2013 MacBook Pro and um, it can still handle the stuff pretty well with all DJ software. So it really depends on your computer. If you have a very old computer, then it might be an issue, but it shouldn't be an issue. Get that latency low. All right, this is about practice. And the question is, other than just spending a lot of time mixing, any tips on how to speed up the learning curve for beginning DJs? No. <laughs> Simple as that, no. I don't have any tips to speed it up because that was never something that was on my mind and it shouldn't be on your mind either. Learning about the fundamentals is not something you want to take like a, a shortcut when it comes to that. You want to make sure you actually master that. Now, how long it takes all depends on how fast you pick it up. So for some people, it's going to take longer to master how to count music. That might work faster for you than it might work for someone else. Some people get beat matching straight away. Others need more time. So there's no shortcuts. It just depends on how fast you pick it up. And once you pick it up, you practice it over and over until you master it. So when you first learn how to count music, you're still doing one, two, three, four. After that, you might learn how to count beats and bars in one, and you start to do one, two, three, four, two, two, three, four, stuff like that. After a while, you're not even counting anymore, or you're just basically saying one, two, you're only counting the bars. You're not even doing the two, three, four anymore. That all comes with time and practice. So I don't do any counting. It's an automatic reaction now. It becomes second nature. I didn't have a shortcut for that. That just happened over time. So master those fundamentals and just keep on practicing. You'll see that stuff becomes easier. And once you understand the technique, you continue to practice it, but you can also start to take a look at other techniques as well. But no, I don't think there's a way to speed up the learning curve or maybe there is, but I don't think that should be your focus. All right, how important is it to have a scratch fader or innovator when it comes to scratching? I'm looking at Mixars Quattro or Gemini PMX20 over the top Pioneer and Rain mixers, but I hear their faders are not that great for scratching. I'm no expert at scratching, getting better over time. So here's the thing, scratch faders are definitely an improvement from standard faders on mixers but you don't need a scratch fader if you're learning how to scratch right now. Now, it does help if your fader has a sharp 
curve. So when you're using your crossfader, you want that sound from the other deck to come in as soon as you open that crossfader up. If you have one of those mixers that has a crossfader that will only give you full volume of the other deck when the crossfader is in the middle, that's going to be an issue for a bunch of different scratch techniques. But there's plenty of club mixers out there. So for instance, like a Pioneer DJM 900, that's not a scratch mixer, it's a club mixer. I can do a lot of things with the fader on that mixer. Now I understand that's an expensive mixer as well, but I'm just saying not all mixers that I've used have a perfect fader, but they were usable for scratching. Then again, for certain scratches, I definitely found that some of those mixers had a crossfader that did not have a sharp curve and I could do my basic scratches, but for the more advanced scratches, it didn't really work that well unless I was using the mixer a little bit longer. And to be honest, I've even had mixers in the past that had a crossfader that did not have a sharp curve, and I would put tape on the sides of the crossfader to make it not close all the way, so I, I needed less space to open that crossfader. It's a little hard to explain uh, over audio or even just looking at the camera. I would have to show you, but uh, I did something like that on old mixers to make it sharper. Um, but then again, I feel there's plenty of mixers out there now that have a fader that's definitely acceptable, uh, but you could also just choose to buy a mixer or a controller that has some standard fader and then put something like an inner fader in there because that will definitely improve if it has a standard crossfader. I'm not familiar with the Mixers Quattro or that Gemini mixer, so I don't know how the faders are. Um, but yeah, an inner fader is always a good option if you have the money to spend. But if you're still in your early stages of scratching, it's not the first thing you need to look at. Uh, when will you be getting your hands on the new Reloop Elite gear? Uh, I don't know yet, but I'm definitely looking into it. Uh, it looks very interesting, so I sure want to test that. So once again, this is episode six, and this is brought to you by our sponsor, Banzoogle. And if you're watching the video right now, um, this current setting right here is not really set up for the podcast. I'm in the process of recording a couple of different reviews. Uh, that's why you see this right here. This is for my upcoming PT-01 Scratch series. Uh, I did the introduction video and the second video is gonna be all about this. Now, I was gonna do a lot of modifications. I haven't done any modifications yet, but this is my first uh, quote-unquote upgrade for my portable turntable because this is my new transport option for my portable turntable. Um, the Jetpack Cut, this is specifically made for portable turntables, so I'll be doing a review video um, about this, and that's why I'm in this setting right now. That's why the bag is here. Um, yeah, and I like the branding. This was an option. You could get like your own logo on the bag. This is not a print, this is embroidered, so I think it looks really dope. But um, yeah, if you're interested in this, make sure you check out that PTO1 Scratch uh, video for this bag coming very, very soon. Give us tips about using EQs on long transitions. <laughs> All right, um, I don't know if that's the best question for the podcast. I think it's better to do something like that with an actual uh, setup 
and a mixer. But what I can say is, especially for me as a hip hop and R&B DJ, I didn't really have a lot of options to do long transitions. A lot of times our transitions are using the hook of one track, which is mostly eight bars, and mixing something into it. So you don't really get that option. Of course, you could work with loops and stuff like that to make longer transitions. I'll do that every once in a while. But I know if you're playing like certain house genres, man, you can take very long on your transitions. And I could always see back in the vinyl days, I was working at a record store and my colleague was a house DJ. And when it was like a Friday and we were working together, we would have our bags um, with us, or at least he would have his bag for his gig. And that was like a small record bag. I was like, wait a minute, that's all you need? Because I had like two or three crates that I had to bring in a car. He could take a bike and his little bag because he would make these long transitions and every track would be on for sometimes four or five minutes, uh, maybe even longer. And I would play tracks for like a minute and a half and then I would have to transition. So I needed a lot more music and I could never do those long transitions. Now, tips for EQ during long transitions, um, what I can say is, you could do all sorts of things. You just have to make sure that you keep check on both tracks. What I mean by that is you want to make sure that there is a certain balance. So you can't all of a sudden decide that you're going to turn up the low end, the bass, on both tracks because that's going to be way too much. Um, so if you take out all the bass on one track and maybe you're going to add a little bit of high, then you want to make sure that the other track is not also having too much high, and maybe you work some mid in there. Um, you know what? I'm not really going to do this in the podcast because it doesn't really make a lot of sense saying it, but um, yeah, that is a fact. You want to make sure that you have a certain amount of balance between the two tracks, but you have all sorts of options. I think it also depends on what kind of sounds are in the melodies on both tracks. One of the tracks might be more uh, bass driven. The other one might have a cool melody. You could do all sorts of things with that, not just EQ, but effect wise as well. Um, but again, I don't think that's something I can really do in the podcast. All right, so that's it for episode six of the Share the Knowledge podcast. Once again, I want to thank the sponsor, Banzoogle. I'll be back next week with a new episode. Now, you already know where to find the podcast. Make sure you check out my videos as well, DJ TLM TV on YouTube, and the handle is DJ TLM everywhere else. So SoundCloud, Twitter, MixCloud, Instagram, you name it, I'm there. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.